Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, entitled Interaction is King with Hoyan Chung, the founder and CEO of Remo. In this episode, we talk about how content is no longer king, but interaction is king and content is now queen. We talk about how events add purpose to human gatherings, and we explore Hoyan's mission to create meaningful connections. We talk about the challenges of marketing a virtual office product rather than a virtual event product. And we talk about how Hoyin sees the future in terms of having a software as a service model, partnering with agencies and offering carbon credits to really offset the in-person side of live events. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Event Manager Podcast and make sure to subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Detroit has always been America's assembly line of creativity and innovation. It's home to groundbreakers, movers and shakers, the next generation that will change the nation. Bring your meeting to Detroit, then take it all in. Award-winning dining, a captivating live music scene, and world-class outdoor spaces like America's Top Riverwalk, as ranked by USA Today. This is your invitation to join America's true originals. Plan your meeting in Detroit. Get started at visitdetroit.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. And I'm super excited to be talking to Hoyin Chung, uh, the CEO and founder of Remo. Hoyin, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. So, Hoyin, we've only recently met, but I'd be really curious if you were um, if you were able to give us a little bit of insight into your history, uh, you know, your background, and, and how did you get, get involved in this crazy event industry? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, it's definitely very, um, like, I definitely fell into uh, this this industry. It wasn't something that I planned um, before. Um, so prior to uh, Remo, I had some other uh, ventures. Um, in I did, like, um, Amazon e-commerce before. I've done mobile marketing. Um, I also have done social media marketing as well. My The, the venture right before Remo was a um SaaS platform for helping social media accounts social media brands grow their brands um i started off working remotely working with um uh, individuals and individual contributors and my teammates that were from around the world and the reason why I, I did that was not really because of you know remote work as a philosophy it was really actually more of just a need to find better talent and so um, I've been having and running remote teams for over like eight, eight years. Um, I originally started creating a virtual office product. Remo started off as a virtual office In fact, we still have it as a um, virtual office product um, today. And um, we, my original sort of goal was to how do I create authentic conversations that build meaningful relationships? And, and because, you know, when I was running remote teams very early on, I found that it's very difficult to develop relationships. Back in the day, we were using like Skype and like no Slack. It was just Skype. And mm-hmm. I lost some teammates because we just could not connect enough at a, at a, at a, at a, at a fundamental human level. And so we created the virtual office product, which is essentially the same thing as Remo, except it's for offices um, to solve that problem. 
And so then, could you um, give us a little bit of context of how, how that works? So it's a virtual office product. Sure. Um, it's There's video meetings, but what makes it different from a virtual event product? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's always a challenge to explain, but um, the way I explain it is um, it's like a 2D map um, and there's you are represented by a little circle uh, profile picture. It's like a circle. And um, the 2D map has all these different maps, uh, different rooms. You double click into a room, you'll move into that room. And let's say um, there's three other people in the room. They all have their videos on. And once you jump into that room, the videos of those people will then show up kind of like at the top on your screen. So it kind of mimics that concept of like you walk into your room, you then see those people. Um, and so we originally were targeting like fully remote teams that um, wanted to kind of like replicate that environment, but it was more for like a collaboration slash meeting tool and to kind of have these sort of virtual hallway conversations that people did not have when you're working remotely. And, um, and after that, we, we proceeded to um, actually host a, um, an event um, for this uh, virtual summit. Back in the day before virtual events, they were called virtual summits. And a virtual summit was a bunch of like pre-recorded videos that would play it, you know. And what we did was we collaborated with um, a summit that uh, was targeting uh, remote work teams and remote work business owners. And we were trying to sell our virtual office to them. We uh, modified our product to create this conference-like map. And um, with this conference map, uh, we had 10,000 people go through the conference. And what's funny is like after three days and 10,000 people, no one bought the virtual office. Like even though that was what we were pushing and selling, no one bought it. And then people came up to me all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, this conference was amazing. I want to post a conference on Remo now. And at the beginning, we're like, oh, that's kind of odd because we're not a conference product. We're, we're doing virtual office. Are you interested in virtual office? We're like, no, we're not. The conference, we are. And, um, and so that kind of percolated a bit. And then and that's how we started to um, like pivot into the event space. Um, and, and when was and, this? And, so could you give me some timelines and when did you launch Remo? And when did, you, when did this pivot kind of happen? So we, we, were, we launched Remo around 2019, January of 2019. We started selling. Um, things weren't going too well, like in terms of like, it just didn't gain much traction. It was very tough. We had some customers, but not a lot. But by August of 2019, we then pivoted. And we did some experimentation. And um, you know, I did those events that I just mentioned. And then we, then we started reselling the product uh, pretty much like uh, September, October of 2019. And then 2020 is kind of like, we all know what happened in 2020. So then, and then it just started to really, really expand in 2020. Yeah. That's really interesting. So you were kind of a little bit early to the game in the sense of you, you noticed there was something interesting and, and that that pivot that I guess a lot of people did probably six months later, you had a you had a six months head start there in terms of thinking about the product more in terms of virtual events. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. To that degree. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That that sounds like a really fascinating story, and I followed some of the other things that that you've that um, that you were a part of, which I think is quite interesting. And I know you've grown a lot during the pandemic. Um, how have you managed that? And I mean, I think you are a fully remote company, as far as I know, right? So I mean, you have a lot of experience in doing the virtual office that you were kind of designed for. Um, how has that been working? Could you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, it's hyper growth, number one. I mean, we grew from 
you know, five to like a hundred people within the span of like 10 months. Um, and so that was really, really intense. So building out new processes and keeping the, the team together was definitely not easy. Like there's definitely a lot of things that we had to do. A lot of things we had to change. One of the things is that we were just changing all the time. Like, I think, if, you know, a lot of these changes you would probably experience across like two years or three years or whatever. We experienced it across 10 months. And the, the degree of change was like, it was almost like there was not much point to create too much process. Like it, it was better to just um, not to create rules and to just, just, you know, trust people to do what's best and hire people that can do, that just know what's best that can make the right decisions on their own rather than creating very detailed processes. Why? Because the processes would change. Literally the processes would change like a week later. So there wasn't much point in that. So I think it was really absolutely important that at the very beginning you hired like the right people that are able to like react to the change very quickly and not to get too tied down into processes. Cause if you get too tied in processes, you end up just rewriting and spend a lot of work just rewriting. Um, rewriting stuff and that is not a very good use of your time so um we were very process light during that time um and from a remote standpoint um we we heavily dog fooded our product like we use our product as our own virtual office we have a lot of activities that are um, engagement for uh my teammates like i organized like games to play with my teammates and during work hours like i would encourage them to come play with me you know, it was, it was like a very top-down approach in ensuring that it's okay to not work all the time. And that's very counterintuitive, but, you know, as, as there's a lot of um, documentation and a lot of like people have been saying is that people actually tend to overwork when they work remotely. And my sort of argument is when you work physically, you know, who would admit that they spend 100% of their time working when they work physically, right? When you work with other people, I don't know what that number is. It might be five, 10, 15, maybe upwards to 30% where you're not actually working. Like you're just doing something else. You're just chit-chatting, you're doing something else. And um, that, that percentage varies and that leads to healthy culture and camaraderie when it's the right amount. But when remote working, Whatever that number is, let's just say it's 15%, is now 0%, a very, very low number. And so, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to compensate for that. I'm trying to compensate for the difference. And that's why we believe, what I believe is that you need to have some form of um, uh, casual play or casual just get together, um, some of that's voluntary. And actually, here's something that I, I think is a bit, um, I might say that's a bit, what's the word, controversial? is I think some things that as a group we need to get together has to be mandatory. Like it's yeah. mandatory that you come, for example, like a virtual retreat, an annual retreat, is that optional or is that mandatory? Most fully remote companies, it's mandatory. It's team building, right? Team building is mandatory. It's forced fun. I mean, the bad, the bad way to say it is it's forced fun. But my argument is, you know, when you typically do events that people volunteer or it's voluntary, people end up going because people are like, well, I have work to do. Like, I don't, I don't really want to go. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to waste my time playing. I just, just want to do my work and go home. 
or, or do my work and just just uh, go go have my free time. So they, no people just don't end up going. So if it's optional, don't go. And voluntary is the only way that we get to see people. Then what I do is is that it's team. We call it team building, but you're actually just having fun. You're just chilling and hanging out. Like there's nothing really too structured. Sometimes some of them. It's literally an excuse for you to just talk to people at the end of the day. And you can talk to me if you want. If you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. You can just sit there and listen. That's really interesting. I think that there's a, there's part of that that also I think applies to events uh, in many ways. This this idea of this fear of joining something like that, or this reticence of kind of being part of this event. Like you say, if it's voluntary, people just they'd rather just get on with their work. But if they don't kind of take that chance, they're missing out because they're not putting themselves out there, right? They're kind of protecting themselves. They're shying away from any sort of interactivity, which is which is such a shame. Um, I want to I wanted to dig, dig in a little bit more in terms of Remo. I I I find it a really interesting product in the sense that, and and you know, tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but most virtual event platforms are broadcast focused. You know, they're sort of like, let's come up with a really cool way of having a sort of main video. People can chat, do whatever, but there's like a, a real focus on one video source. And Remo is very much sort of the breakout room platform in a way, you know, and, and again, if I'm using the wrong terms, please correct me, but it feels like you really decided, hey, the, the important stuff is the chat. The important stuff is the communication between people rather than the broadcast. I know it can do broadcast as well, but that's not kind of the, the main focus by design. Could you tell me a little bit about why, uh, you know, why that was the sort of, I guess, starting point for Remo or, or design choice? Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to, you know, what my, my sort of, um, I sort of mentioned this, this, this phrase, like my mission, right? The mission of the company really is how we create authentic conversations that drive meaningful relationships. Um, and what we found was events is actually a, the most compelling way to achieve that mission. Now you can do that with virtual office too, but what we found is virtual events, it's just a way much more better way to achieve that. And so what we focus on is how do we create a human centric experience? How do we humanize the whole thing? And so what I frequently look back and look at is what do you do normally in the absence of technology? When you don't have technology, what do us as humans do and what is our behavior? And that is where I always start from. When I think about um, like product design and I think about how do we, what our strategy is, is we want you to feel as close to, from a behavioral standpoint, to reality as possible. What, when some people sometimes might think, well, it's human-centered, they think, oh, well, just do 3D, let's do 3D avatars. And, I'm, and I would say, well, not really, because I, if you do 3D avatars, the real life analogy to that is everyone comes wearing cosplay like they wear a mask they dress up to a physical event that's what a 3d avatar thing is and when i think about that is do people do that at professional meetings and we all we all know that is no we all go there dressed up proper we see our own authentic face and connect with each other authentically to build trust develops a meaningful relationship that results into business. And so I think about from that and when you and what I early on when I decided when I looked at why do people go to events, most people go to events, over 50 to 7% of people, depending on the type of event, go to events to connect with others. 
to get industry news, to network, collaboration, partnerships, you know, whatever. And the content is just the conversation starter. It's just a, it's, it's actually just a, um, uh, 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 the initial kind of gel or the, 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 the grease. A push kind of like, for people, right? That's a going. prompt for people to go yeah. in a certain direction. It's a prompt. Yeah. And I believe that it's a prompt. And so we focused on the individual um, connections and those individual conversations is where the magic happens. And where that magic happens, that's where Remo kind of got its, its, um, its original, um, because it, 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 it's, it doesn't have, when I say human centric, it doesn't mean that it has to be visual, like, oh, it has to be 3D, it has to be VR. There's so many things you can do that mimic the human behavior from a, from an experience standpoint that doesn't have to be visual. It's just the sequence of events. It's the way how you present it, not necessarily 3D. And so that's what we've been doing. Really interesting. And I, I particularly, you know, you, you said also the difference between the virtual office and events and uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of kind of events as milestones, events as kind of important points in your life or in your working career where you do something. Uh, and I feel like if you don't have events, you know, like the difference, the practical difference between a virtual office and a virtual event is sometimes not that different. But because there's a, you know, like there's a, a title, there's a theme, there's a reason why people are gathering at a specific time then it becomes a milestone in itself because it's like, okay, this is the time that we're going to be talking about this one thing. If it's just an office day, like any other day, you might have some really good conversations, but there, there are no prompts. Ultimately, there's no kind of significant focus where, where people kind of gather their energy. So you, you made a really, really great point. And I can share you something that I started doing very early on, which I realized was we created happy hours during um, right now, even for our virtual office. And we found that, with no apparent purpose in terms of why you gather or why you come together, people don't attend, at least virtually. Now, physically, you can't, like happy hour. And that happens because there's a bar and there's alcohol or food involved. Like there's something to kind of draw you there. And then that creates that kind of like conversation, right? There's something that draws you. But online, there's, no, there's, there's nothing to draw you. It was nothing to draw you. There's a lack of purpose. And um, I, I think that's kind of what I realized is, you know, the point of gathering is the point that you need to have a very strong purpose, whether it's content or something like that. And if you don't, it typically doesn't, uh, it doesn't pan out the way how we originally think it will. Really interesting. Great. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on on your kind of vision for the future a little bit because because I think this is kind of interesting. Obviously, you've 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 lived through some pretty crazy eighteen months or almost two years now with the, with the pandemic and also the time before. Um, and I wondered your what your thoughts were on where we're going with this. You know, are there going to be a lot of virtual events in the future? Or are they going to look very different to to what they look like right now? I mean, if, if I, so if, if, so I think there's, I think there's two ways to kind of look at it. I'll share with two perspectives. There's where I think the industry is going to go and the where, how I think I would like the industry to go from my perspective, from the Remo perspective. Um, how I think the industry is going to go is um, obviously people are going to be using more virtual events. Like people are going to be, um, uh, they're, they're going to, they're going to see how um, virtual events are helpful um, and 
once kind of the hybrid model comes, I think there's gonna be a lot of experimentation on hybrid and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we've seen some experimentation on that. I think hybrid is gonna be a lot more difficult to execute for majority of event planners. Maybe for large events, I think the hybrid model would definitely be something that would make sense when people have big, big budgets, they can, they, can, they can hire two teams, one for physical, one for virtual. Um, personally, I think hybrid is a very luxurious kind of, you know, sort of model of doing um, events um, until someone can find a much cheaper way to do it somehow. Um, and and I think there's going to be a more um, focus on uh, continued focus on content. From my perspective and where I believe the industry should go is, and from our remote perspective is, it's all about interaction. So people would say content is king. From my my my, my, from my perspective, interaction is the new king. Content is the queen. So content is a, is, a, is a secondary thing, but interaction and engagement is really where all the magic is. And this drive towards authentic interaction is becoming more and more important. So it's not enough to just have chats or just to have people kind of sort of know each other, but it's got to be more immersive. So... Um, I believe that, that that the events industry will go more experiential, uh, from my perspective, way more experiential. Um, the more experience, when I say experiential, it doesn't have to be VR. It doesn't have to be super immersive like AR or anything. It's just the experiences are designed to be much more human that, that you might have, for example, workshops. You might have... Um, uh, more ways to interact with each other, to play a game with each other, for example, um, to to interact with each other in a way that can achieve a goal, like in a team-based environment or something like that. Like something that's just way more experiential to allow to allow it to be very similar to an offline event. Because offline events are very experiential. They can get very experiential with very fancy booths and very fancy experiences. It's going to be a lot easier to execute those types of experiences online at scale. And I think that's where I would love to see the environment going because that's when you get the really the huge benefits of why virtual is so much better than physical scale and potentially just as good experience. So it sounds really interesting. It sounds like something that I would like to see as well. I, I particularly like this idea of engagement and interaction, but I, I feel like most events, and I'm not talking specifically about Remo in this case, but I feel like most events are very much in this broadcast kind of scenario. Um, why do you think that is? And what can we do to fix that? I mean, I, without mentioning platforms necessarily, I, I don't think the platforms necessarily the, um, you know, that's the end goal, but or that's the tool you're going to use to get there. But what what's going to make people shift to the to that place? So I think it's just a matter of, I think number one is a matter of time. And number two is like most technologies that go through this kind of maturity stage, right? They, and also it, it's, okay, so it's okay. Let me think of the back. There's a few things. One is um, there's a huge rush into virtual. People don't know what they're doing. People, at least in 2020, now people do. People have their idea and they're all optimizing for that. So number one was just the situation. Number two is, um, you know, technology as you've seen, right? they always go through this life cycle. The beginning, early adopters, mass adoption, late adoption, everyone kind of goes through that. We're now kind of around the mass adoption stage. Um, and I think 
it's like Zoom, you know? Why are people getting Zoom fatigue? It's because they're just sick or not sick, but they're just, you know, seeing the same thing over and over again. People need new ways of interaction. People need content. Well, like on Netflix, like there's just this constant desire for freshness and newness. And I believe the podcast model um, is fantastic. It's great. But I think when people really start focusing on engagement, which is the next level, they will have to, there'll be this natural shift into this, into this arena because people are going to be like, well, I'm, I need engagement. I need further engagement. I need further, um, better interaction. How do I get that? And by just using the same platform, the same sort of paradigm over and over again, that will eventually um, kind of get, may get some fatigue over time. And so I think over time it will go there. And I think it's going faster than what people think. And what about in terms of scalability? Because if you're doing a broadcast event for, I don't know, 10,000 people, it's hard to replicate that into something super engaging and, and interactive. Or, or do you see that differently? Yeah, I mean, well, so then here's my question is like, how do people have conventions that are 10,000 people? How do people maintain engagement there? Right? Like, if, sorry, go ahead. I, I don't know if they do. You know, I think I think uh, there's a time and a space for 10,000 person convention. Um, I think part of what makes it really interesting when it's 10,000 people is that it's you have to be there. You know, you have this feeling that it's important for you to be there, and there's a lot of buzz around it, and there's a lot of kind of it's a vibrant place. Um, but I think everybody has a separate experience. Um, however, my feeling is when you replicate that virtually, it's very hard to do. You know, just because you're watching a you know broadcast style event and there's a little ticker in the corner that says 10,000 people are watching, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you don't really get the buzz of being in a room with 10,000 people. It's it's a very different feeling when you're virtually. Um, so I I think that there's a there's a, a place for that, and I think that those large events still make sense in a way. And if we can do them physically, I think they they're they're worth it at least in terms of the the buzz and the networking and that feeling that you're part of something really large um i think in terms of sustainability and all, the, all sorts of other issues they're probably not sustainable but i i think it's very hard for an industry that sort of thrives on building those kind of events to then shift completely into building quite small interaction events and i'm not saying it's wrong or right it's just that's a big focus of a lot of the industry and how do you provide that industry with a, you know, a, a model for interaction in virtual events that can take part of what, what that does for them? So if you think about it, right, like if you look, think about physical events, I mean, if you have 10,000 people in one hall, right, I mean, what are you really doing? Like you just sit there and there's people around you. You get to feel that there's people around you. Are you interacting with people to the left and right of you when you're at when you're at a keynote, for example? I think it's different. When you're at a keynote, no. Um, I think what happens at most keynotes is people are on their emails. They're not actually in the room. Um, but that's exactly. just my exactly. sort of, you know, sitting from the back of the room, you can see a lot of blue screens in people's faces. Um, but if you had something like a trade show, um, I think there is an energy at trade shows that's really interesting. And, you know, it's, there's 10,000 people, there's an energy that the fact that there's 10,000 people there, but you're not interacting with 10,000 people. You're probably, 
you know, in a day you're interacting with a hundred, maybe a couple of hundred, if you're really, you know, putting yourself out there and talking to a lot of people and that's okay. But if you think about every, each one of those 10,000 people having a hundred, 200 interactions, that still makes it quite an impressive kind of, and I think that's where that buzz and energy comes from. So there's actually a few companies that are doing this. And this is something that unfortunately we don't focus on trade shows, but we do have people that have done trade shows um, on our platform. Um, there's some people that have done a really good job with this um, and where they, where they have, they can hear sort of the, the, the conversations that are like happening around them, but it's like very muffled. So you can't exactly listen to it, but you kind of hear in the background. Um, our, the way how our, our, our platform is structured is that you can have one map and have a bunch of trade shows, like have a bunch of booths on that. And in fact, we, do, we don't do trade shows. We do something that's similar and they're called job fairs and poster sessions. Um, it's, it's literally the layout's exactly the same. It's like two people per booth and people just kind of jump, jump from one booth to the next. Um, and people can kind of just have those small interactions and talk and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, what, what I would say is, is that we kind of don't focus on the trade show as much right now, but we have been successful in kind of scaling these small group interactions, these type of events for 10,000 people. So mm -hmm. we would have um, several floors and several buildings. So not only a vertical sort of scaling, but also horizontal scaling where you can go into different places and connect and network with um, different vendors and all that kind of stuff. And this is something that we've, we've actually done um, to a very large scale. And um, that is um, you know, something that we've, we've been able to do. And, and, and some of our new, our new feature that we've uh, just launched allows you to create, let's say like 10 different, what we call event buildings, which are basically 10 different floor plans. So you can have um, uh, show hall A, show hall B, networking, networking lounge A sponsored by IBM. That's like a unique experience. We have um, uh, amphitheater uh, uh, one for one talk, amphitheater two for another talk. And you can move freely from each of these areas. Yep. Broadcast mode in one time, network lounge in another during the breaks. Um, and it literally creates this sort of uh, experience as if at a large, large convention. And you can feel the buzz if you want to, you know, depending on which area you're going to. That sounds to me like a trade show. Why do you say you don't do trade shows? Is it just the sort of the, the naming that you don't use or, or is, do you see something I mean, different? It, I mean, it, it, it is similar. I mean, it is similar when typically you show it's like huge, like they're massive. Like typically when someone says trade show, it's like there's hundreds and two, like 200 vendors, for example, we, we haven't done things that are level of 200 vendors and that's their whole thing that they do. Like, Trade shows also um, is like typically like, like that's all, like they don't have any like speakers or they don't have any like sponsors. It's just that uh, we, we typically don't have ones that are just specific, specific that it's, we, we've done smaller scale sponsor zones, like a sponsor or a, a vendor marketplace, more, smaller and more, more on like networking and um, the broadcasting. And, and it's more, it's just the, the, that part just a bit more smaller scale when it's like 5,000 plus 10,000 people. Interesting. That's, that's always interesting to see different formats and kind of understand how that works. 
Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I want to touch on one thing that you do offer that I think is, I don't know if it's unique. I don't know for every single platform, but you have a, an event agency partner program. Um, could you tell us a little right. bit about, you know, why that came to be and, and how that works? Yeah. So, I mean, event agency partner program really came about is because we just had a lot of amazing agencies work with us. Um, and we wanted to solidify that relationship with agencies. Our product is a bit unique from some of the other um, products that are out there is that our agencies make more money using our product compared to others. And there's a lot more opportunities for additional services that um, are required in order to make an event successful. Um, and so that allows them to make more money. So like, Can for you example, customizing the floor plan. How that works? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, yeah, that's a great, uh, thing. yeah, absolutely. So customizing the floor plan, most events, they want a custom floor plan of their own. So they get to design the floor plan um, for them. That's like a good amount of money there. The second is um, you have many different event buildings and many different floors. And so you actually kind of need human people to be there to support the different floors and support the different uh, buildings sometimes um, in order to make sure that you know everyone's okay, just like a normal physical event, right? except it's cheaper because you don't need that many people and um, it's just more flexible in terms of hours. So it's the, the, the cost compared to physical is cheaper. And, and, and you can get people that's not necessarily, you have to fly them in and there's like a lot of cost um, um, uh, benefits there. And so that also has like a bunch there, uh, a bunch of cost uh, uh, pricing um, services. And then there's also like um, running the actual events, coordinating the event, coordinating people, coordinating the speakers, um, there's just a lot more um, opportunities to kind of like uh, uh, um, to charge and create that more experience. And also you actually have to craft the agenda um, more uh, and um, actually have like a proper run of show and all that kind of stuff. So there's just a lot more stuff that if people really wanted a really intricate show, they, an intricate um, event, they have the ability to get there with the help of an agency. And so a lot of event agencies uh, pick us because of our ability to, to, to create more immersive experiences that lead to, um, you know, help, you know, either customers with bigger budgets or customers that are willing to um, create a, a, something that's just more engaging. But is this then, do you have a, a sort of percentage, a commission that goes to the agencies when they kind of yeah. lock in with Remo? Okay. And that's so right. So they have a commission structure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like... Do you offer Remo as a software as a service, as a SaaS product, and then the agencies are the ones who customize right. and kind of set it up? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So our model is we we focus on what we're good at is creating a base great experience with software. Um, the actual running of the events, those are professionals who've run events for you know decades. And we work with them in order for them to and a lot of event agencies say working with us is very similar to working with physical events, which is what attracts them. Because then they are, they're actually applying a lot of the same um, 
like run of show and organizing everything very similar to an actual uh, physical venue. It's really interesting because we've seen from event man from event MB's perspective um, that most of the virtual event platforms have really upped their service levels. So they've kind of taken a different approach rather than being SaaS products becoming very much kind of almost white glove products where they help people out for a premium, but they help people out and they kind of help create the event and do all sorts of service. And, and you've kind of taken the opposite approach. Um, have you seen that as well in the market? And is there a particular reason why yeah. you wanted to go in that direction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, I think um, we we want because our platform is very like ecosystem centric. Like we have a lot of vendors, um, we have a lot of like map designers, we have a lot of agencies, we have a lot of MCs, we have a lot of people that play very specific roles that kind of are part of our ecosystem. And so we want to create that ecosystem of different players rather than we just kind of do everything. Um, because um, number one is that I, we just we've just worked with amazing people that are just outside of Remo. Just, that's just really the answer. Is and we found them to be much more better at it than us, and um, and and also that we believe that like customers need to have choice and they might have different budget constraints, um, and um, and and we have a very good program in training a lot of our agencies so that they're just as good as us. In fact, most agencies actually, in, in from from our perspective, know and experiment more with the product than us. Like they will share with us some of the things that they've found and they've done and even way better than what we do. And to me, that's way more compelling and way much more better for the business for, uh, for the customer, way better for the customer. And so you're kind of saying the, the journey that we've taken. Yeah. You're kind of saying, Hey, we're the, we're the software experts. We're, we're creating the platform and let's the, uh, the kind of meeting design experts go crazy and, and do some crazy things and kind of push the system as, as much as, as they can is kind of that what you're saying yeah exactly because our our platform it's you know i said like a map right it's anyone can design it however they want we've had spaceships we've had rooftop bars we've had like this um uh this this arena we've had everything anything you can think of someone's already created this we've have crazy like funerals baby showers like people just go go ham on like designing these amazing maps and so essentially what we are is we are a canvas. We People just design whatever they want. It's just highly customizable. And because it's so customizable, these agencies can just create amazing experiences. And that's basically what, what allows us to be so unique and different from our competitors. Interesting. Um, I also noticed on your website that you were, or I saw maybe something you did on LinkedIn, that you were looking at carbon credits. Um, and I, I realized that DI and sustainability is also something interesting, at least something that we're constantly talking about. Why this interest in carbon credits? I'm curious. Yeah, so as a company, we're very interested in becoming carbon neutral. And we see ourselves as a really great way, as you know, we all know, like virtual events is a great way for um, as reducing carbon emissions um, for companies. And so um, for event organizers and for, for companies who are organizing events. And so, you know, for carbon credits, we have seen a lot of um, hybrid event organizers that um, are looking to kind of offset their physical portion of their events um, and offset that piece um, where like the virtual event is pretty much near zero 
how, what do you do with the, with the physical part as a hybrid solution? And so um, what we do is we basically help offset those carbon credits for them. So we provide extra services to actually help them offset that. And, um, and, and we basically um, help package and, and, and help our customers like figure out what's the right carbon credit strategy that they want to do. Um, and, and so we're, we're doing that. So we, we believe that if you can make your event as you know, carbon neutral as possible, um, we just provide the, 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 the we, we actually provide the avenue and we know what are the rights. Um, uh, we provide basically a carbon credit offsetting solution that allows us to do that. Excellent. I mean, that's that, I think that's a really interesting approach and definitely in this hybrid world, it'd be interesting to be able to do that. Um, so I've got a, a couple more questions just to wrap up. Uh, the first one is really if, you know, what would your advice be to someone who's considering um, this kind of uh, engagement, this kind of interaction that we've been talking about, but is, you know, maybe also considering a more broadcast approach and, I think event planners are always reluctant to try too many new things because events are so time specific and it's so time critical, right? So making a brave choice to step away from a broadcast model is always challenging. What would you say to someone who's who's looking at that and uh, maybe considering it, but is on the fence? Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, so I would look at it as like, what is their goal? Like, what are your customers' goals? Um, if it's typical customer goals are like what it's awareness, it's ROI, it's, um, it's being able to, um, get more leads, more business, like, um, maybe it's, uh, internal employee engagement training, like all that stuff. Right. And all those things, if we all went to university, like who, if we all went to university and we all just sat there listening to someone, right. Some people are really good at that. Some are really good at like over the information and like doing well in school. Um, I was okay at school. I wasn't particularly great, but you know, is that a really good way to achieve your goal? Right. And I think some of us would say some cases, yes, some cases, no, but in the corporate you know level, right. Um, you're really trying to push and make sure that, that like you can create the most effective ROI from a corporate standpoint. And I would go back and say, okay, if, if, if the corporation is trying to achieve a goal, the, really the most effective way is to do engagement. Everyone wants engagement. In fact, the industry will push towards engagement more, more engagement metric, more engagement, and more proof of that this engagement actually led to a certain you know, ROI. Because now in the event industry before, right, you couldn't track anything, right? If you ask event planners, how, how do you know that your event's successful? A lot of them say, well, I just sent out a survey. Which, which now when you look at virtual event platforms, like virtual event platforms, like, oh my gosh, like survey is your level. We can measure everything now. So what that means is that for event planners, they're all now have a set of metrics that can measure and make them accountable now. And, and that means that the bar that you have to make things more engaging is now much higher way, way higher. And um, a clients will pick up on that. They will know that. They will find out if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Someone's going to say, hey, I want to show you the ROI of my agency and what I provide a value for you. And they're going to go deep into metrics. Like we, we show how many meaningful conversations people have. We show uh, meaningful, like we're able to measure how meaningful it was and how they were able to network and communicate. We can measure um, 
how the, they were engaging with the content, which leads to them being able to remember and in, like just regurgitate or, or apply the content much better than just a broadcast mode. And so what I would say is that think about what they're doing and showing them the metrics that can basically like, like, like achieve their goals. That's something where broadcast has potential limitations. Okay for now, but you know, as time goes on, the market's going to change towards this direction. And to me, I think being ahead of the game here for engagement is better being than at the back of the game. Because when you're at the back of the game, then you're just catching up. And um, that's something where you don't want to be too far behind. That's interesting. Tell me a little bit about this metric of, of engagement. What, do you, what can you actually measure there? Well, we can measure, for example, um, the length of audio and video that's turned on mm -hmm. at the event. How many people have you spoke to? Um, what are some of the topics that you're talking about? What are the hottest topics? Um, when it's in a conversation mode or a broadcast mode, we can measure um, how people, like if they're, if they're chatting a lot or if there's a lot of emojis uh, that are being given, for example, we, can, we have this graph where it shows the amount of engagement throughout the entire event, like you know, up and down. And so, and also it's a timeline, for example, like start of the event to the end of the event, like the first hour, second hour, third hour, we can see the attendance and also the engagement. And so now you can get really scientific. Like you can be like, oh, when this person spoke, engagement was down. But when this person spoke, engagement was really, really high. Like you can now do really, really scientific things and say, oh, this topic, not interest, people were not interested. Or this type of um, activity um, did not boost engagement later down the road, or we should say these certain things or introduce these types of engagement that actually leads to higher engagement later down the road. So we can do a lot of interesting things that you really couldn't do before. You really, really couldn't do before. And I think the virtual industry is all is heading in this direction for sure. Yeah, and I guess if you're more focused on the interaction, then there's more things to measure rather than a broadcast situation where there's just you know, the, exactly. the maybe emojis or something like that that people are doing or, or the chat side of things. Exactly, exactly. Interesting. Well, Huyen, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. I think it's been really interesting, a little dive into interaction and hopefully what, what you see is the future of, of the event industry. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to catch you maybe a little bit off guard, but I'm going to ask you a question that we ask everybody at the end of the show, which is... Um, who would you recommend uh, we should invite to be a guest on the show? Um, if you could give us uh, someone from your network that you think would be interested in uh, in chatting with us and connecting to event uh, managers from all over the world. And it's, it's in the event industry, is that correct? Doesn't have to be, as long as they're interested in the event industry. I mean, it's it's really oh. an open-ended question. Um, who's, ever, oh, who's ever interested in the event industry? Um Ooh, that's a good one to, to, to ask, like right on. Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely several. I mean, like if you guys haven't had um, the uh, CEO of Acel Events, um, I think he's uh, great. Um, I think he's a great person to um, to have. Uh, Jonathan Zarian, um, I think he's he's some of the stuff that he's been saying. I think really great. Recommend, I would recommend him. Okay. Thank you very much. We, we, we've had Jonathan on one of our summits before, so be, uh, be 
easy to invite him onto the show and I think he'd be a, a great guest. So thank you very much for the recommendation. Awesome. Oyen, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed your time on the Event Manager Podcast. And uh, for anybody listening, please do uh, subscribe, uh, rate and review the podcast wherever you, go, wherever you get your podcasts. And I look forward to having you join us again soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.